We are back with another episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Harib, joined by Jack and Joe Wilkie. And uh, we have an important piece of news to share with everybody. Joe is now an official member of the Owning a Copy of Church Reset Book Club. So congratulations, Joe. We have been giving him some grief. We've been giving him some grief the last few weeks uh, when we've been doing this Church Reset series simply because uh, he could not seem to find a copy of Church Reset on his shelf and made the mistake of telling us that. And so we've been giving him the business for it. But uh, Joe, tell us what you received in the mail over the past week. Yeah, shout out to, I believe Tracy um, is when we, I think she wanted to be anonymous, but when we clicked um, to thank her, the name Tracy popped up. So I believe I know who this is, but thank you, Tracy, for the book. Um, If it was somebody not named Tracy, then I apologize, but I'm pretty sure it was, pretty sure it was her. You just um, made it really awkward, just in case it wasn't Tracy. Yeah, exactly. So, that's and exactly. Tracy it. feels bad because she didn't do it. Yeah. If, if that's <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Said. Exactly. But either way, um, no. It. Uh, thank you for for that. And I'm sure now that you bought me one, I will find my copy in two days, because uh, that's always how it works. But uh, I'm sure. I'm very, yeah. Yeah. I'm, very oh, yeah. I'm the, a proud the copy that yeah. you had for sure. Of course. Yeah. Uh huh. We But I am you. a proud new owner of a, a decent book. It's okay. Now you should read it. Reset. Maybe you could get a good podcast. I don't have all the Joe. I don't have all the time in the world. Uh, well, fair enough. Oh, fair okay. enough. Yeah, but that's a good idea. What if we we should do that one of these days? I'll read it and let you guys know how it is. Okay. Um, I'll let you good. know if it's worth if it's worth reading or not. So, <laughs> uh, I also want to while we're here thank everybody. We you know last week was very much kind of a participation episode. We put out on Facebook on YouTube. What are your thoughts? And and we got a lot. We got a lot of really good discussion. A lot of good suggestions. Um, we really enjoyed doing that episode. Uh, I hope you guys, the listeners, did as well. Uh, it was it was just a real fun thought experiment, and uh, I, I think it seemed like everyone enjoyed that. Uh, again, lots of feedback, lots of comments across our social media pages. So, yeah, thanks to everybody who joined in and, and kind of uh, took part in that as well. All right, I guess right, I'll... Fellas. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I was going to say... I'd- I think you're. I think you're leading this, so I'll kick it to you. Yeah, we're we're gonna base this off a sermon I did here recently, so I'll I'll get us started. This week we're gonna get into a word that really has, uh, I guess, driven Focus Press from from day one. Really, what we've done at Focus Press, and that is the idea of worldview and creating a Christian worldview. Uh, and it's it's really your philosophy, your approach to everything in life, and the opposite of the Christian worldview is uh, there's a million opposite. There's a million ways you can not have a Christian worldview. There's only one way to have a Christian worldview, and that's that God governs the way you see everything, the way you process everything. And it's essentially the the commitment that says, if God has said something about this, I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to understand it the way he teaches me to understand it, about every facet of life. I think maybe the, the driving Christian worldview verse is Romans 12, 1 and 2, right, about not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the renewing of our minds and our minds being set on the things that are above. And and 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But the way that manifests itself is in the practical, is in the everyday, because we have this word uh, compartmentalization, that you leave your Christianity in the church building, right? That you say, I'm a Christian, and and so that's going to govern the religious part of my life, but then I've got all of these other areas of my life in which I kind of do what I want to do. When you sign up as a Christian at your baptism, you sign your name, your life over to Christ, you're giving him permission. He, or not permission, you're giving him control over everything in your life. And, and what he wants you to do is what's going to go. And so we're going to use kind of a, a gimmick of sorts, I guess, for this one. I, I preached on this. I think Joe's preached on it because he stole it from me. Um, and then made it better. Added can't to really. It. Oh, made it made it better. Yeah, you can't expect Joe to do the heavy lifting. So, what I what I called the sermon was check your pockets, and really the concept is everything on you illustrates a, a an area of your life in which God has control. Um, and, and so the, I guess the only way to really explain that or, or to show what I mean is to go into it. And so we've got a list of eight things we're going to say that on your person right now, in your pockets, things that you're wearing, un, uh, that they show the lordship of Christ in your life. And so. Uh, why don't you guys jump in, take us on to number one here, and because uh, I've been talking too much already. Um, Will, go ahead and take us on to the first one here. So, yeah, so the um, the first thing would be your keys, right? Most people carry their keys in their pocket. 
if you're a lady, maybe in your, in your purse or whatever it is. But you keep it on your person, right? That's not something you just leave laying around. So your keys, think about your keys. What do you use your keys for? Use them to, to go driving, to, to, go, to, to go places, right? And so it's this idea of going. And going is something that we talked about two or three weeks ago when we were considering the Great Commission. So that's the first thing that we, we have to consider. Uh, Matthew 20, 18 through 20, when Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples, what's the first thing he says? He says, go. Go, therefore, as you are going is, is the way that it reads in the Greek. And so that's the first question that we have to ask ourselves about are we truly viewing things from a Christian perspective from a Christian worldview, are you taking the gospel with you as you go, where you're going? Uh, d- does your life reflect Christ where you're going? When you're out to eat at a restaurant, are you reflecting Christ? When you are, you know, maybe, again, just away from the church building, are you reflecting Christ? So then that's the first part of it. But then the other side of it is, you know, we have where you go, but what about where you don't go? Psalm 1 verse, uh, the first Psalm is is just a fantastic place to go whenever you're considering, okay, where do I need to stay away from? What are the things that I need to be doing, not doing? Most people are familiar with it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's so interesting there that you get three different verbs. You get walks, stands, sits. Basically, his point is you don't need to be doing any of those things with people who who don't share your worldview, who are not uh, who, who are ungodly. He uses, again, three different verbs. He also uses three different ways to describe those who are not faithful to God. He says ungodly, sinners, and scornful. Those are the types of people that we need to be avoiding, the types of situations that we need to be avoiding. And so you think about your keys, you think about where you go, where you don't go. This is the the first step, where the, the first application point, I guess, that we have when, it, when we're talking about having a Christian worldview. Where are you taking your faith, and where are you, are you making sure that you are whether it be the people that you associate with, the the activities, the things, uh, the places that you're not supposed to go, does that align with a Christian worldview? Guys, do you have anything to add to that? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think you said it really, really well. I think the there's an aspect to this where it's really easy to stay to ourselves, to keep to ourselves. You think about this from a you know from a physical standpoint of taking our keys and going places. Look, gas is really expensive right now. Um, it's very easy to stay at home and, and just to not go anywhere. Um, well, I think it's very easy spiritually to allow things like that, not gas prices per se, but you know, to allow things to get in our way that keep us from really going. But on the flip side, there's an aspect where you feel like all of us are going somewhere. We're either going down the wrong path or going down the right path. There really is no such thing as standing still in the Christian life. You're either moving away from God, taking your keys and moving away from God, or, or you're moving toward Him. And so as we think about that, of, of the keys that you have, um, obviously the car key being, being the main one, uh, you think about, okay, where are you headed? And then you think about the other keys on your keychain. Maybe you have one for home. Do you know where home is? And, and obviously that should be the church for Christians, right? It should be, hey, we're taking this key, we're going home. Um, so you can kind of break it down. You could break the illustration down by that as well of where are we moving? Where are we going? Are you going in a good or bad direction? But then also thinking about the keys. Um, I got a key to, to the church building. Am I using my keys to head to the church building? I got a key to the house. I got a key to the car. I got a key to um, maybe mom and dad's house, to family, right? And so where we have our keys, are we using them for the right things, right? Or do we find ourselves having a key to bad things to things we places we shouldn't be going so i guess that'd kind of be the other point of the illustration in saying hey as far as it goes with the worldview where you go really does matter um it, it's i think we started with this one because i think it's important just to recognize once again we're all going somewhere but we just have to take into account where we're going well, there's, there's that balance of taking the gospel to people that you hear people a lot these days say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. And usually when they say that, they're kind of justifying, I mean, a lot of times people are justifying being in places maybe they shouldn't be. You know, there are places you should not go. To Will's point about Psalm 1, you shouldn't be at the gentleman's club. You know, shouldn't be hanging out at the bar and, and you know, uh, with all the patrons there getting hammered with them. I mean, like, there's there's just places Christians shouldn't go. You know, and so, but people justify, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. On the other hand, we can go too far and never go around anybody who doesn't share our faith. Never go to somewhere where we could share the gospel with somebody and kind of pat ourselves on the back that we're not being around or those bad influences. There's a balance. Jesus did hang out with sinners, but he didn't 
run into it with them. He went to go pull them out of the sin to, you know, to teach them, to reveal himself to him as, as the Savior uh, to them. And so we have to have that balance, not being influenced, not sitting, standing, you know, walking as Psalm 1 talks about, but being in the places where we can reach people with the gospel uh, from time to time. And so taking our keys and going to people with the gospel, because man, as you said, gas money and all that, but streaming services and COVID, the way the lifestyle it, it taught us of, of just holding up in our houses, it's very easy to not associate with people. And so getting out and going, looking for opportunities to connect with people, looking for things around town. As preachers, it's very easy to stay in our offices all day. We're working on lessons, we're making our calls with the, the members and all that, but go, be a part of, of your town, be involved in, in things, meet people, connect with people, how, however it takes. And so uh, the first one being going, you know, look at the keys in your pocket. That teaches you to go. Uh, next, let's go to number two, the watch on your wrist. Your time belongs to Christ. We're very protective of our time, right? Because everyone's very busy people. We all have a lot going on. And so it, it me time is a big thing, right? I work, I've got to you know take care of my kids, I got to do all these things. And so I need my me time. But the question you ask yourself at the end of every, every day is, did God get the time that he is owed, number one? Number two, uh, each week, church attendance, involvement, fellowship, the things, the kind of things that we're talking about, are we really giving God enough? Are we giving him of our time? Are we, we making time for him? Are we making time for others? Are we making time to bless and to serve and to, to teach if necessary, to evangelize, as we just talked about? Um Man, it's it's so easy to be protective of our time and and selfish maybe a little bit with our time. And this one is is tough because you think about the the way that most people prioritize their time, right? Most people work is is the number one. That's the that's the number one thing that they have to devote their time to. You know, that's that takes up 40, 50, 60 hours, however many hours people work. That's a big one. Then you have family time, which is again incredibly important. If you've got uh, a faithful Christian man, woman uh, that are taking care of their family, that takes more than just an hour or two a day, right? That, that, that takes, that takes time. So after those two things, for a lot of people, those things are very mentally draining. And so on the one hand, it does, you know, you sympathize with the people that look, it's it's late in the day. I've devoted my time to to my work. I've devoted my time to to my family. I just need that, that me time, right? The Jack's talked about or or that veg time. On the other hand, you think about those those handy dandy things that we've talked about with iPhones now, the the screen time. When you look down at your at your phone at the end of the day and you see you spent four hours on your screen or three hours, how, however long it is. When you think about the the sports that that you found found time to watch, you think about the the, the television, uh, the TV, Netflix shows you found time to watch. You think about all these things, the the sporting events that we have time to take our kids to. It really does come down to at what point are you going to prioritize? I need to spend this amount of time with God. I need to spend this amount of time in God's word. I need to spend this amount of time uh, in prayer to him. And it's not, it's, we don't want to get into the attitude of, well, let me box check my time with God today so that I can be done with it for the day. That's not it at all. But I've used this illustration before. If there's 168 hours that we have in a week and, you know, 56 of them or so are spent sleeping, 40 of them or so are spent working, that leaves a roughly 70 hours, 72 hours that we could uh, of what we have to, to, to spend our time that we can choose to spend it however we want. Some of that needs to be tied up in family. Some of that is needs to be tied up in other things, but 72 hours is a lot of time. What we see with people far too often is they'll spend three, four hours a week devoting that to God. And usually that's done in the church building. What we're talking about here, Joe, I'll hand it off to you is when you're considering the time that you have as a Christian with your Christian worldview, how much time of those 72 available hours for the week are you devoting to God, devoting to spending time with God? That's the question that we, again, not to get into the habit of box checking, but how much time are you actually devoting to God? You told me that number the other day um, when we were driving in the car. Like, there's 168 hours in the week. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then, of course, eight hours of sleep. Yeah, 56. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know. And when you broke it down for me, it's like, okay, I work a little bit more. Let's just say, let's say I work 60 hours in the week, right? 52 down to down to 52 um, hours that's still a ton of time that and then I got to think like man what do I do at that time obviously obviously hit the gym gotta gotta pump the weights um, you uh, <clears throat> maybe take some, some naps. of it's some of it's commute time some of it's commute time so, yeah yeah hit the hit the the naps occasionally whatever it is if you're tired 
And then social media time. It, like you start realizing, man, how much time did I actually spend in prayer? And if you've ever prayed um, for long periods of time, you realize like 30 minutes is a long prayer. But I have 56 hours or whatever it is, you know, 52 hours left in my week. Um, I could do that every single day, multiple times a day, and still have tons of time left over if I was really in that relationship. And so it's just the idea of like recognizing we have way more time than we think we do. I realize there's a ton of different stuff. Let's, you know, just be crazy about it and take off another 32. You still have 20 hours in the week. What are you doing with? Um, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us a number of our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. There is wisdom in that, in recognizing the time, recognizing the time that we have. We all think that we're going to live forever. Look, our days are numbered. We know James talks about in James 4, what is it, verse 14, I want to say, um, about us being a vapor, right? Our life is a vapor. We, we are here for a brief time before we vanish away. Understanding the time that we have been given, first off, it's a gift, and second off, it is a, um, it's, it's finite, and it's way more finite than we want to give it credit for. So think about that. From a worldview perspective, what are you doing with your time? Does Christ own your time? Because, and, and one of the ways that, to, just to make it practical, how much time do you spend with your brothers and sisters in Christ during the week? And this steps on my toes as well. It is so easy to, well, I just, I'm just so busy. I just don't have any time. I don't have any time to go pray with so-and-so. I don't have any time to go to that Saturday morning Bible study. I don't have any time to invite people over to my house on a Thursday night. I'm just, I'm so busy. Well, who owns your time and what are you doing with it? And if you have to say no to work or say no to something else so as to make time, Christ owns your time. What would he have you, what would he want you to do with that time? Make a few extra bucks. And again, I'm stepping on my toes. Make a few extra bucks or get together with the saints and fellowship and grow as brothers and sisters in Christ together. Sorry, I know we need to move on. Jack, I'll hand it back to you here in a second. But we talked about this when we were talking about spending time with our church family one or two episodes ago. You got a family, uh, an immediate family that you spend four hours out of a week with. How close are you going to be as a family? How well is that family going to function? Not, not hardly at all. Exact same thing. Exact same thing with our church family. If we're spending three hours a week together, we can't expect to be close. We can't expect to truly be a family. We're, we're a family in name only, and so that is a question that each one of us have to answer for ourselves. How much time are we willing to devote to, again, you know, maybe putting aside the, the sporting events, maybe putting aside the me time, and actually being diligent enough to to try to spend that time with our church family. I think Jesus is our example. Uh, before we move on. Jesus, you know, he would wake up earlier. He'd stay up all night to pray when it needed to be done. Uh, he, There were times where he was at the end of the day, and it was time for him to rest, and he saw the people, and he had compassion on them. He said, I'm going to do good to them, or I need to teach these people something. There were other times where, even with the apostles, he said, let's get away from the crowds and rest. It's time for rest. Uh, it's time for those he was closest with. You know, uh, Mary and Martha, he was sitting down to have a meal with them, things like that. Managing your time the way Jesus did, it's that idea of this belongs to the Father, I'm going to use it to his good, and sometimes that means resting. Sometimes that means family time. Sometimes that means fellowship. Sometimes that means going to serve somebody and, and help them out in, in whatever way I can. And so uh, rather than the box checking, I went to church this week. You got my time. That's enough. Because as church leaders, a lot of times we say, well, we, we just can't ask more than three or four hours a week from people. You know, you can't run people into the ground. On the other hand, we need people who are committed and say, you know what, I've got time to give. I'm going to step up when the, when the opportunity is there. So let's go on to... Uh, we're going to mention one and then move on because we did a whole episode on it. Uh, your clothing. Your clothing, as you look at yourself and what you're wearing right now, uh, modesty, flashiness, not drawing attention to yourself, that's a way in which you serve God. You, that belongs to you. And there's so much debate, you know, there's so much, you know, it's it's the man's job not to look and I, I get to wear whatever I want. And no, your clothing belongs to God. And so, again, we did a whole episode on that. Go back on our, our Think Deeper podcast feed. Uh, what was it, about two months ago, uh, so seven or eight it's, episodes back. It's important is the only thing I would say, and then we need to move on. It, it's not something that we can just, you know, oh, that that doesn't really matter, or, you know, it doesn't really matter what I wear, the things that, that I, you know, put on my body. It does. It really does matter. And, again, we're not going to get into it because we had a whole episode on it, but I, I want to encourage people not to just brush it aside in the sense that, you know, again, well, that's not really that big of a deal because it is it is to God. I will make one one quick point, um, because I was recently given a document, a long document from a, a gentleman um, that I thought was actually really, really good. He said, man, hopefully you can use this. 
And the way he defined modesty was something different than I had thought about. Instead of just the clothing you wore, he talked about how the areas uh, that, our, that our eyes are drawn to are areas of life. And so you think on a woman, the areas of life, where men might be looking, and, and same for a man, and how lines and such that are, that are basically that draw attention to those areas create immodesty because that's not ours. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. And so when you put on clothes, just be mindful of the fact that, first off, God owns those areas of life. Second off, are you wearing things that are drawing people's attention to the areas of life, which I don't think we need to fully outline on this podcast what those are. I think people understand what that is. But are you wearing things that are drawing attention to those areas or that are taking attention away from that and just bringing attention to the face and things like that? So I think that's a, it was, it was pretty, the way he did it was a long document and I thought it was really well done. Um, but the way that he presented it made a lot of sense. So we'll just say that, but just be thinking about that. And that's what I was going to say to wrap up the watch point is like, same thing with the keys. Next time you grab your keys, think about where you're going, you know, spiritually. Next time you put your watch on, think about how God owns your time. Next time you put clothes on, think about, is this glorifying God? Is this going to bring my brothers and sisters or other people um, closer to God? Because you do have that power. As a woman, and even as men, sometimes, we have that power in our clothing to take people, maybe not to draw them closer to God, certainly to take them further from God. That's a big burden. That's, that's a it's a bit, I should say responsibility, maybe not a burden. I should say it's a big responsibility to make sure that our clothes are appropriate. Number four um, we want to get into is wedding ring. And I got this nice black silicone wedding ring. Um, it, it, you guys wear metal, don't you, still? Dude, you got to get into the to the silicone like this rubber. This no, is so it's, nice. It's, it's crazy. I spent like 1500 on this thing, so I don't really want to swap it out for a piece of rubber. I know it's, you sp- it's so <laughs> How much crazy. On your ring? Okay, probably fifteen hundred for the wedding band for mine plus Rachel's. I'm pretty sure. You know how not, much not Alyssa spent ring, on my wedding first band. One. You know how Sorry. much Alyssa spent on my first one. Uh, for my metal, my metal one, twelve bucks. How much? And okay. I so was fine just, with it, man. <laughs> I was fine with it. You know how much this one no is? No wonder you'd you'd be fine to swap it out for a silicon one. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No well, kidding. hey, this one's four bucks. And you know the nice thing about these is I was able to put all my money into her wedding ring because that's the only one that actually matters. Uh, yeah, see, th- I did that, that people too, look at. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, Mister Moneybags, maybe you could. Oh, okay. Give, hey, we're getting to the wallet next, so maybe you can. Uh, I just value. Just I just value my change. marriage on a on a high level. So, oh, uh, that is. I, I think that's that is it. so nice. I value looking good, and my black wedding ring looks pretty slick, and it stands okay, out. Okay. Stands out more than yours, actually. So, hey, how about that? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, when you put on your wedding ring, hopefully, I mean. Mine stays on all the time. I never have need to take it off because it doesn't swell. You know how it is, gentlemen, when you get the silicone. It's pretty nice. Um, I never have reason to take mine off. And um, the wedding ring is important, and it points, obviously, to marriage. So you go back to Genesis 1, 27 and 28, when, when God is instituting marriage, and Adam talks about his flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, right? And the beauty, the, the simplicity, but also the complexity in that. It's such a simple thing of Adam basically being put under, uh, you know, and, and having the rib take from him. And then he just recognizes, he calls her what it is. Hey, she was taken out of my side, right? And as, as we often talk about, wasn't taken from Adam's head, so she didn't rule over and wasn't taken from the, the heel, so he didn't step on her, right? He, it's taken from the side and together they're equals. Now, we understand there's hierarchy in the relationship. The man is, and we see this right after in the fall, that the man is to be the head. We're not going to get into that per se, but what does your what does your wedding ring signify? Do you think about how Christ is ruling over your marriage very much the way he talks about in Ephesians 5 that that our relationship man and husband or man and wife yeah whoops man and wife a husband and wife's relationship is to mirror You did that on I, our, I was going to say I think that's the well, second so time there's like a there's, there's something yeah. about that. I don't know what it is. But that, it, it, that's part of the, the thing as well, is we've got all this confusion around marriage in our culture. Well, well, Christ is Lord over that. And you've got Christians, even churchgoers, who say, if whatever people want to do, that's fine. In fact, uh, the Gospel Coalition, a big online you know, article, blog, video, podcasting site, um, had an article uh, that kind of created an uproar a few weeks ago uh, about what should you do, you know, about your coworkers or neighbors or whatever, and and if they invite you to their gay wedding or things like that, and they were saying, well, okay, you don't need to go along or celebrate it, but you do have to acknowledge, you know, that they have the legal right to get married. And like, yeah, 
legally the government gave him that right, but they're not married under the eyes of Christ. And so he, he governs that. He defines what marriage is, which is one man, one woman for life. And, and he's given the, the rules around divorce, remarriage, all, all those things that we talk about. He's in charge of that. And it doesn't matter how much it hurts our feelings when he says you can't marry that person, you you know don't get divorced and 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 stay faithful to that person. You can't marry uh, another man. A woman can't marry another woman. And, and man, people don't like people bristle against this stuff. They push back against this stuff. But Jesus is Lord of that. He's he's Lord of the institution of marriage, and then he's the Lord of individual marriages, as as we're we're talking about as well. He tells each husband, this is how you treat your wife. And we've talked about before. Ephesians five is very much emphasized. It talks about both, but the emphasis is on husbands. Lay down your lives for your wives. Uh, as Christ died for the church, you've got to be willing to do that for your life and get yourself out of the way and, and not be selfish in your marriage. First Peter 3 comes back, and it's more on the wives of submission. And even when it's difficult, they, they maybe you're going to win them over by your quiet submissiveness. And so uh, when we say words like submit, yeah, boy, that's a that's a hot topic. We don't want people people get mad about that, and there's this egalitarianism that says we need to submit to each other, and and there's you know no hierarchy as as Joe mentioned. There is Jesus is Lord of this. He gets to decide this, and I think what we as relativists in our culture today think is you just got to do what works for you. You as a couple figure out and you know get into your own groove of of you know your your relationship and and just do what works for you. There's room for personalities and stuff like that, but down to the the structure of marriage, he's Lord of that. And so the Christian worldview says, God said it, I got to do it. I, I got to view my marriage through Jesus's lenses. It's these glasses with which you view the world through the Bible, first of all. And part of that, another angle of that is, from a Christian worldview, understand not just, our society doesn't just have a messed up view of, of you know, who gets married, talking about men and men, women and women, even among heterosexual marriages, our society really denigrates this idea of marriage. And it's it's sad to me that many, many times Christians can kind of join in with that. You know, the the jokes about their spouse or, you know, the seemingly harmless Facebook memes or Facebook jokes about, you know, how much their spouse is just driving them nuts. And, you know, I'm not trying to put an embargo on, on jokes or anything like that. But at the same time, part of this Christian worldview is understanding that we have to view marriage, we have to view our marriages as Christians in a much higher way than the world does, in a, in a much more sacred way than society does. And, and this constant, I don't know, disparaging of marriage and you know trying to put down your spouse so that you can be cool with the guys or, or something like that, it, it's not the way that Christ has, you, has us view our marriages. And for us as husbands especially— we have to, to make sure that we understand we have a responsibility to put work into our marriage, to put time into our marriage. That wedding ring that we're talking about that's on our fingers should be a constant reminder that not only are we to, to control our, our lustful thoughts when we're, you know, Matthew 5 and Jesus says, hey, look, just because you're not physically committing the act of adultery doesn't mean that you're guiltless when it comes to that. So we have to keep that in mind. But also, again, this idea of, you know, putting work into your spouse, the idea of building her up, washing her, Jack brought up Ephesians 5, cleansing her, washing her with the water of the word. You know, it's one thing to, to physically, you know, take care of your wife when it comes to, to providing for her, providing a home, that kind of thing. But are you spiritually taking care of her? And I'm talking just to the husbands right now, just because we're three guys here. But I think that's a, something big when we're talking about a Christian worldview, talking about this wedding ring, that's something else that we certainly have to keep in mind. It goes much, much deeper than just the, the physical aspects. And I'll tell you where this is really seen with this, what, what glasses you have on, Christ glasses. Here's the other glasses a lot of people have on in the church. They got the therapy glasses on. You don't understand. My husband's toxic. My husband's emotionally abusive. Well, you don't understand. My wife is, you know, maybe she's not emotionally present for me. Um, she's not physically, but the main one for, for her husbands, right? She's not physically present for me. Um, and so what we do is we kind of take the, the therapy approach, which is, oh, well, you just either need to leave him or whatever it is. Look, I'm a therapist. I've, I've, I understand where these things come from. I understand the, the thoughts behind the toxic relationships and such. I understand emotional abuse is a huge deal. You do not, nobody needs to, to let me know how, how big of a deal it is. Okay. I get it. But I also read first Peter three and no scripture stands above. Wives are to be submissive to their own husbands, even those who are disobedient to the word, even those who aren't easy to get along with. I know husbands 
are to live with their wives in an understanding way. They need to understand that their wife is is the delicate, um, the delicate part of this relationship, and live accordingly. Understand and structure his life accordingly. We need to stop looking at it from a therapy point of view of well, we just need to do what makes us happy. You know what? You need to do what makes God happy, and what God, what makes God happy is pursuing the best in your marriage, pursuing your spouse's faithfulness to God in whatever way possible. If that's being submissive to Him as a wife, then so be it. If that is if that is helping and admonishing and encouraging your wife out of whatever she's dealing with, if that's even getting into therapy so as to help your wife, so as to help your relationship to make it better, that's what we're called to do. Marriage is so important. This wedding ring signifies more than just the old ball and chain. I hate that. It signifies the beauty, something that that the first institution that God created on planet Earth was marriage. The way that God got over the very first thing that was not good, which is for man to be alone, was marriage. This is a big deal, people. Please take it seriously. Please recognize there's so many things that come along with this um, in, in terms of viewing it through God's lens. We don't see a ton of happy marriages, happy families in, in the Bible, sadly. We see a lot of brokenness. God can work in brokenness, but we are to pursue each other's best interests because I think we're ultimately trying to reflect again Christ in the church. There's so much more to this. We could stay on this for a long time. Fellas, anything else before we move on to number five? Okay, we're going to get into number five, which, um, as I kind of teased earlier, is wallet. Is wallet. So as we're thinking about checking our pockets, we're thinking about this worldview. We've got these keys, got the watch. Christ is over the watch and, and our time. He's over our clothing and our modesty, our marriage through our wedding rings. He's also over our, our wallet with the love of money. We know First Timothy 6.12, um, where it says money is the root of all sorts of evil, right? No, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. People get that wrong all the time. Money in and of itself is not wrong. It's the love of money. It's how much we chase the money, how much we put above it. Fellas, what would you add to that? I think it's interesting that the love of money is the root. Uh, so uh, that's one of my favorites, isn't that you always hear money is the root of all evil. And then somebody says, no, no, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Like, no, it's the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Like, like multiple levels on which but we, we get that right of loving money and and those that you know desire to be rich in this present world i mean there, there, paul has a, a great section on that of like that greed and that desire and that, that if, if you make that your goal you're gonna have a problem and you see the rich young ruler like that it becomes between him and jesus and jesus says it's harder for a rich man uh, you know it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and so then we go to the side of poverty is righteousness and you know that boy anybody that makes money they're probably not a very good basically Christian. the poorer and, and, like, you I are shouldn't... the more holy you are is kind of the thing right about. right but then you read the proverbs about you know the the diligent and and money you know wealth flows to the diligent and the sluggard will be poor and 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 will eat the the bread of poverty and and so proverbs talks a lot about like you get rewarded for the work that you put in and that's a good thing but i think ephesians gives us the right mindset. In Ephesians 4, uh, let's see, a verse, I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head here, 28, uh, where he says that, you know, let him who steals, steal no longer, but work so that you may provide for others. That has to be our view of money, as work is good, making money is good, but not so I can build bigger barns, but so that I can have and do and provide and help others. I can provide for my family, I can help others, I can be a blessing to others. Um, you look at somebody like Cornelius, Obviously a pretty well-off guy, but he was considered a, a devout man, a righteous man, even before he became a Christian, because he gave, he was charitable. Um, we need people who do that. You know, we send missionaries with money. We feed the poor with money. We, you know, support uh, widows and orphans and take care of them and, and things like that. So this idea that money is evil is wrong, but uh, so there's a balance here. You don't want to love money and be greedy, but you also want to realize I can make money and do good with it, and, and God blesses that. And so having the biblical view of money is is where this Christian worldview comes in, is what does God think about money? I preached on Job um, last week, and Job is obviously a book that you can just learn so many lessons from. But it's interesting the way that uh, so he, the first five verses of chapter 1, he is set up as, and in verse 1, he's described as uh, blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil, right? Just a really, really upstanding guy, just an awesome guy. In fact, when Satan, again, most people know the story, when Satan comes before God, God points to Job and says, have you considered my servant Job? You know, have you considered how, how he serves me? I mean, look at how righteous he is. 
But, you know, before you get to that point, you, you see, and I believe it's verse 3 of chapter 1, Job was a very wealthy individual. Job was a very well-off guy. He's described as, or he was described as one of the greatest in the East. This guy had it going on when it, when it comes to, to wealth, and, and he was doing just fine. Well, we know what happens to Job, right? All that gets taken away in a span of what seems like four minutes, right? You know, people come up to him time and time again. Hey, just so you know, all your servants and livestock, they died or they, they, they were they were killed and taken away. And then while he's talking, somebody else comes up and says, yeah, your, your livestock over here also died. And then, of course, the same thing happens to his kids. And when I was preaching, I really focused on verse 20, verses 20 and 21, because this is, again, in the immediate aftermath of Job finding out that everything he had, everything he had built up, his wealth, his livestock, it was gone. All 10 of his children that, he, that, that were precious to him, that in verse 5 of chapter 1, he was taking time to offer sacrifices for, for atonement, they're all gone. Verses 20 and 21, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. His first reaction is to worship, and then verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It really seems like Job had the proper biblical perspective on wealth. Job understood we enter this life and we leave this life in the same place. We leave it penniless with, you know, with nothing, with nothing to our name, no matter how many times people think that they can, you know, work their way up to retirement and save all that money. Look, when you die, you're going to be in the exact same place as you were when you were born. He understood that. He also, when he says the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Jack, I think you brought up before that this idea of an open hand policy when it comes to your wealth. Job understood that. Job understood, yes, it's God who blesses me with these things, but at the same time, it's God who can take these things away. And then he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood the proper biblical perspective on wealth. And when we're talking about our wallet in this Christian worldview, that's a big one that a lot of Christians miss when it comes to the love of money, when it comes to, again, having that open hand policy, uh, being generous, being benevolent. That's something that's expected of somebody with a Christian worldview. Second Corinthians 9 is where we usually go, right, for um, God loves a cheerful giver. We see that uh, right in verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But notice the few next few verses. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. What do we see there? First off, you cannot outgive God. Second off, it's very much to the principle you're talking about. God's giving you all of that money to give, you know, for these good deeds that you're giving to. So in the context of 2 Corinthians, of course, they're giving back to the saints of Jerusalem with the earthquake, and there's a, there's, there's a background, a historical background there. But the point that he's making is, hey, any good that you do through your money, God is, has already blessed you bountifully for that. He has given you money for these good deeds, and he'll always give more. You cannot outgive God. So God loves a cheerful giver, and part of the giving back to God, part of using our money for him, is God asks us to do it not because God's greedy. It's his money anyway. And it's also a joyful aspect of giving thanks to God. It's a worship. It's, it's, this, it's this, you know, a heart that says, whoa, I have been blessed amazingly, therefore I give to God. He doesn't want us to miss out on that to miss out on a great opportunity to give to him um, and, and to give thanks to him and to worship and to glorify him. Like, that's another great way to be able to do it. So when it comes to the Christian worldview with our, our money, with our wallet, um, just think about the next time you open your wallet. God, first off, owns everything. Second off, it's not that we can't go out to McDonald's or can't go to DQ and get a, get a blizzard from time to time and, and, you know, never have anything fun because it's all going to somebody else. It's just the idea that, you know, God is over this. What am I doing with it? And am I, am I so greedy that I'm not allowing for him to work in my life in this way? Jack, go ahead and take us on to number six. Yeah, this will be another one we do kind of briefly because we have done episodes a little bit on this. And that's when you, again, checking your pocket, your, your driver's license, your government identification. Uh, it says a lot about you. It says, you know, like you're a citizen of such and such place. Mine is a Texas driver's license, um, you know, and, and there's there's so much that goes with that of uh, your voting registry, your your residency, the, the laws that you are subject to. And, and so really, we're just talking about our citizenship. But as we continue rifling through our pockets, that's one thing that comes up is 
your submission to government and in Romans 13 and what it calls us to do in 1 Timothy 2 and praying for those that are in authority over us. And we've talked about there's that Christian posture or there's a posture that a lot of Christians have of total, you know, bucking the system on every sense. In fact, I, I uh, there's somebody uh, I know that, you know, hey, a social security number is a scam. It's a, a government thing. So I, I don't want that. I'm, I'm disavowing that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to carry a government ID. And these loopholes, there's like all these things they have to go through and register, like getting permission. I, I don't remember exactly how it all worked, but basically... Uh, I don't have to do any of that. Well, on the one hand, the idea that Romans 13 means we submit to the government no matter what, that's not true. That's not right. Or only when the government tells us that we have to sin, then we can... No, there's more nuance than that. But this other side of, I don't have to do anything they say, that's not true. Uh, there, There are laws and things that we have to operate within, and trying to buck that authority is not from God. And so your citizenship belongs to God, and uh, you're voting. What you do in the, the voting booth, there's so much of it that is kind of emotion, feeling, what I want, what I like. It's submitted to God. What God wants is is what drives uh, your vote as well. And so, as I said, we've done a, a one on patriotism. We did one on politics and Christian nationalism early on in the year. Again, scroll back through your feed to catch that whole discussion. Let's move on to number seven, which is your business card your business card. Uh, it's got your, your name of work, your job title, whoever it is that you are. That belongs to God. Who you are in the workplace belongs to God. And I think this is a very important one because we're supposed to let our light shine before men. This is one of the ways we do it is in the performance of our job. And it takes a number of different forms here. I'm going to take the first one and then you guys can uh, add on to it. But first of all is integrity. Be somebody who does good work, who's honest, who keeps their word, uh, as the Proverbs say, you know, keeps your word even uh, to your own injury, to your own cost. That if if it, you, you make a promise to somebody and you're going to end up coming out on the, the short end of the stick, you made the promise. You got to keep it. You, you, you stand behind your word. Um, it's very easy to lack integrity. And my, my dad, uh, he's been in business. In fact, he just sold his business after 30 plus years. And he had a policy any business that had like the little fish logo on it, he went out of his way to avoid doing business on them or doing doing business with them. And I've heard other people say the same thing, that when people advertise, oh, we're a Christian business, we're a Christian business, here's the little fish on the back of our, our trucks, they're usually the most dishonest, hardest to get them to pay. They always want discounts. Wow. They want to pay cheaper than everybody else. How sad is that? How just pitiful is that, that people would look at it and go, I don't want to do business with you because you're claiming to be Christian. It should be the other way around. Number one, you shouldn't be advertising. Your work should show that you're a Christian, number one. But number two, if you're going to put it on there, you better hold up to it. And so bringing integrity into the word workplace is part of this Christian worldview that you don't leave your Christianity in the building on Sunday. It goes with you to Monday. It goes with you to the contracts you sign. It goes with you to the jobs that you take, uh, the the deals that you make with people. You got to stand behind it and and be an honest person in the workplace. I, I think Colossian. Oh, I'm sorry. Go for it. I was just gonna say um, the next angle that I would hit, and then Joe, I'll, I'll quickly get over to you. Uh, would be the idea of working diligently. Uh, I'll I'll talk to the young people uh, here for this one. There is a Again, a tendency among young people these days that, hey, if they're going to work, it's going to be uh, maybe half-hearted effort, doing the bare minimum, um, lazy, and just, just not diligent work. And that's simply not what we see uh, that, that is expected of Christians is, hey, we're supposed to, to be diligent in our work. We're supposed to you know, not do things half-heartedly, do, do things to the best of our ability. Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the, the Lord. And Jack just said it. And, and that's, this, I guess really what this this boils down to the main core of this episode when we're talking about a Christian worldview. Everything you do should reflect Christ. If you're if the work that you put into to your job or you know however low level you, maybe your job is or however high level your job is, if your work reflects somebody who's again lazy, putting in a half-hearted effort, uh, you know not really trying, not really committed, what kind of commercial is that for your Christianity? What kind of example is that for people in the world who are who are uh, who are looking at you and, and seeing that hey he doesn't really work that hard he's not very diligent with his work oh he's a Christian hmm, interesting the point here in all of this is that with everything we do our marriage our, our citizenship you know our, our clothing all of it but especially because you think about our work especially for those who work outside the home that's the thing that puts you kind of 
out in the world among the most non-Christians, you know, most of the time for young people, it's obviously school, but for adults, that's the time when you're around the most people that are outside of the church. What is your work doing to advertise for Christ? What is your, what is the way that, that, that you put in the time, the diligence with which you do your work? How is that expressing Christ? That'd be the only other thing that I would say there, Joe, you take it away. Well, you uh, already mentioned Colossians 3, which sets it up perfectly. That's where I was going to go. Because he says in Colossians 3.22, Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And here's here's the kicker here. Because a lot of people will be like, you know, slave master. You may feel like a slave in your place of work. You may feel like, man, you're only working for the man, quote unquote. Um what does he say? Verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord Christ whom you serve. That's key. And everything we're talking about here, and we'll get to it in the last one as well, there are so many excuses we can make. Well, you don't understand. You don't, you don't get how difficult my life is, how, how mean my boss is. Same thing with the wedding ring, right? You don't understand how bad my marriage is or how, how bad my spouse is, how bad they treat me. Well, you don't understand what the government's doing. Well, you don't understand, you know, I'm, I'm trying to set my family up with money. Well, you don't understand that I live in a hot climate and so, you know, we can't just, dressing modestly is really difficult. Well, you don't understand how my, my time is, you know, how valuable my time is and how little of it I have. There's all these excuses we can make over and over and over trying to tell people that we just don't understand. It all comes back to this. It's Christ whom we serve. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather th- rather than men. As a slave, as as a, a you know, as an employee here, you're working for God. Does your work reflect that? I don't care if your boss is the biggest jerk in the world. I don't care if they make you stay late on weekends and everything else. You're ultimately working for God. Now they're setting boundaries. I'm not saying you got to be abused here, but. At the same time, this is, this is the, the importance of the worldview with which we speak. It gets rid of the excuses and we recognize, man, it's God whom we serve. It's God whom we're trying to please in all things, and that very much includes our work. So especially for young, this goes to the old and to the young, but especially for young as they're kind of getting into the workforce, our culture is horrible about, again, kind of the quote-unquote the man and the 1% and making sure that the rich pay their fair share and all of this. And so we demonize bosses. We demonize business owners. We demonize the the rich, so to speak. And so that we think that that justifies us cheating our bosses at every turn. That justifies us, you know, taking, you hear these kids that take super long bathroom breaks and are just basically scrolling TikTok for 30 minutes at a time while on the clock. You see people that are clocking in late and then they, you know, if they have the ability, they adjust their time clock or they take things from their place of work or whatever because, oh, they're good for it. They're good for it. The business owner, they make so much money. It doesn't really matter to them. You're not working for them as much as you're working for God. Keep that in mind. So I want to transition to the last one here. Will, go ahead and take us into the last one. Sure. So this is the one that, um, you know, has really come into the picture in the last 15 years, something that everybody has in their pockets, and that's your cell phone. Um, and so we, we did an episode on, on tech addiction and the dangers of that. We'll briefly touch on that here in a second. But the first kind of aspect is really the aspect that a lot of people don't really use their phone near as much for these days, but actually talking to people, right? And so the first thing we have to consider from a Christian worldview with our phones is who are we talking to, what are we saying, and how are we saying it? Um, Again, this can be done in the form of of a phone call. This can be done in the the form of texting. Who are you talking to, what are you saying, and how are you saying it? We've, We've belabored the point before about how big of an issue gossip is in the church, about how uh, harmful of an issue, uh, slander can be again, even among Christians. And so that's something that we have to consider in our conversations, you know, maybe with, with other Christians in our conversations with, uh, you know, other followers of Christ. What are you saying? Are you talking negatively about somebody? You, we just talked about kind of bucking authority. Are you bad math, bad mouthing the elders uh, of your congregation? Are you, are you bad mouthing your boss or are you, you know, what are you saying? What's the content of what you're saying? And then again, how, how you're saying it is a, is, a, is a huge part of this. James chapter 3 talks about the tongue. And, you know, typically we, we, talk, we, we think about using our tongue in person, face-to-face with people when we're, we're having a conversation. This can also be done over the phone, whether it's be, again, a, a phone call or text message. We have to consider the way in which we're using our phone. And again, this is the case with all of these. We're kind of beating a dead horse here. 
are you are you reflecting Christ in the way that you do that with the, the content that you're sending via text the the things that you're talking about over the phone whatever it may be are you reflecting Christ that's the ultimate question you can add to that social media you know as well as as communicating via the phone and putting content out there putting words out there and you know James 3 says the tongue is a fire and a very world of iniquity it can look at how much it can burn down how much grief it can cause and as we've seen in the last 20 years the fingers might be worse because that way you don't have to back it up. You don't have to put your face behind it. You can text somebody with just rage. And, you know, I, I've had this before where the texting is getting a little bit heated and me or the other person will say, you know, let's just call, you know, and, and you get on the phone call and all of a sudden it's like it's, it's very toned down. But man, when you're texting or when you're on social media or there's there's even, you know, sweet older Christians that I've known, they're the nicest people or whatever else. And then you scroll through Facebook and they're sharing the meanest you know, I mean, just harshest, critical, mocking memes and, and or just posting things or or even language that I've seen people, uh, you know, foul language post. And like, you're not like this at church. What's going on here? And so, as you say, with the phone, whether it's, a, a you know, on the phone call, a text, social media, the words that are coming out of us, the words that we are communicating, that belongs to God. And and when you log on to Facebook, you log on to Twitter or whatever else, you didn't leave your Christianity behind. Jesus is with you there as well. He, he demands of, of your usage of your phone and, and what you're saying and how you're communicating with others. And so, and then of course, there's the other side of it of where your phone takes you digitally, of, of the places you go. We did, uh, we've done a few things on pornography. I really want to push up once more. Uh, Joe and I did a, a Think Fast on pornography addiction, how to get out of it. Go check that out on our, our Focus Press YouTube channel. Uh, because I'm sure we have people listening where that's a struggle. I mean, statistically, it's inevitable uh, that we have multiple of them. And so go check that out. That's another thing with our phone that Jesus demands that we not uh, go to those places. But it's very easy to, uh, Joe, as you said, to justify, well, I'm not married. Well, I, I just, I, you know, I, I'm having a tough time. And man, this is just a natural urge that I have. And I, it's hard to control or whatever excuse we may have. That's part of it as well. So uh, on the phone uh, part of this, Joe, do you have anything to add? Yeah, no, I was I was going to take it initially to exactly what you said of James 3 with, you know, setting the world on fire. Like, we have the ability to, to build up or to burn down everything just with our words. And so for those that are driving home on Sunday and having roast preacher for lunch, it's a joke that we make, but that happens a lot. We've, as I've heard the stories of kids that, you know, watch their parents or watch their mother on, on Monday morning. And I think this is more of the old way before a lot of women worked, but where they'd watch their mother just get on the phone with Gladys or whoever and, and, you know, just start running down whoever was at church or who wasn't at church and kind of sharing the, the latest gossip. And it's like, man, that's not okay. And somehow we thought that it was, but that's not okay. And if you aren't prepared to say it to somebody's face, then I, I think that's a general rule, a very good general rule. If you're not prepared to say it to somebody's face, don't say it at all. Joe, that's a that's a great point. I I don't know that I've ever met anyone named Gladys, so that was that was making me laugh. I was trying I was trying to think of the seventy plus age generation of like man. There's only a few that you could probably throw in there, and Gladys might be one of them. Um, <laughs> you know, I was. Apologies to any listener named Gladys who does not have a gospel And who is album. under 70, I apologize if that is the case. If we have 70-year-olds... Li- if your name is Gladys... Oh, that's what I was going to say. How many people named Gladys listen to podcasts? <laughs> if, you have, if you have 70 plus and you're listening to podcasts... That Venn diagram has to be like tell yeah, you what, thin of a sliver. There's just one and she is raging right now. Are you kidding me? Either that or a she... a one-star review. <laughs> that or she thinks it's the coolest thing ever Don't- that we're, we're shouting her out. Yeah. Don't use your phone to leave one that's star exactly reviews hey. on for podcasts, right? That's another thing. You know, <laughs> so that's that's exact. If when we're talking about how you use social media, if you give us a one star, that is probably sinful. You probably need to. Re- <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, but, sort of kidding. So uh, this is kind of bringing us towards the the end of our list here of uh, the things that we've gone over. But the reason why I, we we use this check your pockets illustration is because it, it's teaching us, it's training us to realize everything in my life there is not a part of my life that doesn't belong to christ and we can you can add things all day long in fact i I challenge you as a listener to the deep thinkers take some time and think about what else would i put what else you know am i wearing uh that could be used as an illustration you know on my body that i could do that or or just around the house look around the room you might have books there might be a tv in front of you and think 
how am I using that TV? Or am I watching things that I shouldn't? Because, man, that's something that has always blown my mind as Christians, Bible-loving Christians in church every week, and they go home and watch the the whole lineup of network TV smut that is on Monday Game through Friday. And imbibe all kinds of, yeah, I mean, nudity and sexual content and language and uh, I mean, just all kinds of stuff like that. And, and so that belongs to Christ. Think about, and, think uh, about, your, think you about know, your, your, your children. Think and, about your home. How how Sorry, are you using your home? Yeah, your home. That's another big one, you know. Right, exactly. hospitality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the list could go on, and so I, I, that's a challenge to you guys. Add to the things. Uh, if you're listening, uh, as always, we have the Facebook page, the YouTube. You can comment, leave some thoughts on on extra things on there. I want to use an illustration though as we finish. I don't know if this is real or not, but it's an illustration I heard, and it's very powerful. I I, I think maybe there is a little truth behind it, but it was about the Crusaders. Who you know they they went under the name of Christ they wore they had the banner of the cross and all that but they would get baptized hold, you know some of them at least holding their sword out of the water like okay I'm giving my my life to Christ except for this now think about your pockets think about this list that we just said what is it that you got baptized and held out of the water maybe you held your watch out of the water and like I'm baptized I'm becoming a Christian but man if I've got something that comes up on Sunday I'm out of here he doesn't get my watch or maybe it's your wallet of you know what. You might get 10% Jesus, don't ask for anything else. It might be your phone. You know what? I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be here every single Sunday, every time the doors are open, but I am not going to stop, you know, posting mean things or talking to people a certain way or, or gossiping or or whatever else it may be. And and again, everything that we've gone over here, uh, your your citizenship, your, your driver's license, your ID, you're holding that out and saying, I'm going to vote for who I want. I'm going to be involved how I want. Your wedding ring. I'm going to treat my wife. Or I'm going to treat my husband the way I want. Any of these, you can say, you know what, I held that out of the water. If you did that and you've realized out of this that I don't have a complete Christian worldview. I haven't viewed everything through the lens of Christ's rule, and I held something out of the water when I got baptized. You don't need to go get rebaptized. What you need to do is take that part of your life and, and you know, metaphorically baptize it. You know what? My wallet does belong to Jesus. My wedding ring does belong to Jesus. My phone does belong to Jesus, and I need to start acting like it. And so, uh, again, I, do you guys have anything to add before we finish here? I think that's a great illustration just because, again... When we become a Christian, we are to devote our entire lives to Christ. There is nothing that we should that we should be holding out of that water. The one that you didn't hit, you know, our clothing. You know, th- there there should never be a part of us that's like, look, I'll go, Jesus, I'll go with you all the way. But when you ask me to wear a certain type of clothes and look a little bit different in the world, sorry, I can't do that. You know, again, with all of these, we are supposed to devote our entire life to Christ. There is nothing to that. That's literally Matthew sixteen: deny yourself, take up your cross follow me. Every single one of those things. There, That doesn't leave any room for holding anything back, anything selfish, anything that we want to use for our own gain. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. So a perfect illustration. Quick litmus test, you know, as we wrap up. Where are you making excuses? I spoke on this a little bit before. Where are you making excuses? Take some time, sit in that for a second, and say, how am I or where am I making excuses as to why I don't need to follow Scripture the way that everybody else tells me? That's a really good start. So if you say, well, you just don't understand about my time or whatever else, well, that's an excuse. I'm going to be doing the same thing. We're not perfect on these by by any means. Um, and so that's something that I want to challenge all our listeners to. So one more time, quick list. I'm going to go start to finish, and then we can. I think we can wrap up unless you guys have anything else. When it comes to the worldview, we have keys, watch, keys where we go, watch our time, clothing with our modesty, wedding ring with our marriages and family, wallet with the money, driver's license or ID with a citizenship, business card with how we work, uh, our, you know, the, how our places of work and such, and our phone with who we're talking to, what we're saying, how we're, uh, how we're saying it, and also where we're going digitally. So that's just a, the brief quick breakdown um, from start to finish, one through eight, of ways that we need to make sure we are putting them under the headship of Christ. I'm going to finish with this quote. Just briefly, leave you with this thought. It's from Abraham Kuyper. I think it sums up everything we've said here. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Every square inch of existence is His, should be submitted to His, especially the things under our control. So we're going to finish right there. Thanks for listening. As always, leave us a review. We need some help on... uh, uh, especially iTunes reviews, give us five stars. Help us out here if you enjoy the show. Um, 
YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, do whatever uh, that, that helps us grow there. Share the episodes. We've got a lot of folks uh, sharing stuff on Facebook. We really appreciate that as well. We will be back next week on the Think Deeper podcast. 